Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Hello and welcome to A Better Peace, the U.S. Army War College War Room podcast. I'm Michael Nyberg, Chair of War Studies, and today I am delighted to be talking with Philip Caputo, a remarkably successful writer over different types of works. He's won a Pulitzer Prize, he's written memoir, he's written fiction, he's written travel books. Philip, you and I first met 21 years ago at the U.S. Uh, Air Force Academy, way back when, when you gave a lecture to students, uh, and it's great to be uh, able to talk to you again, so welcome. Well, thanks very much, Mike. I can't believe it's 21 years. It has been. I just came across the photograph we took there. Uh, I was also looking at the interview that you and I did there for War Literature in the Arts with Don Anderson and uh, and some other folks that were out there, Jim Meredith. Uh, you said something 21 years ago that that struck me, and I wanted to start with it. I think Jim Meredith asked you the question of of how you became a writer or why you became a writer. And the answer you gave was that you don't choose to be a writer, that that's something that's sort of chosen for you. Uh, do you still feel that way uh, 20 years later? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, in a way, uh, more than ever. I, uh, I really think that it is a, uh, a vocation, to use an old-fashioned word, a, uh, a, a calling. I found that uh, I'm, uh, by the way, going to be 80 years old in two weeks, and so I've discovered as I get older that I've sort of wanted to retire, but haven't been able to. I just have to keep writing, that the whole day, the whole week, the whole month, the whole year doesn't feel right unless I'm working on some sort of project, even if that project should come to nothing. So are you... I guess what I wanted to start with, and your question got me, or your comment got me thinking something else, but I'm going to go back to my first question that I had for you, which is you are remarkably successful in various kinds of writing, as I just mentioned. And I'm kind of curious about how you see in your mind the relationship between writing fiction, writing journalism, writing memoir. Are, are those to you all sort of sides of the same coin or sides of the same object? Or do you find yourself kind of switching gears as you go into these different modes of writing? Well, I do find them as, call them three or four sides to the same coin. Um, you do have to make certain mental adjustments in whether you're doing journalism or memoirs, which is, you could call that a form of journalism, uh, or, or fiction. You do have to have some, as I say, change of mental, mental gears. But I basically see see writing as pretty much the same endeavor, no matter what your genre is at that at that time. There's been a relationship between journalism and fiction for me in the sense that sometimes, as within the, my longest novel and what I consider my own masterwork, uh, the uh, Acts of Faith, which took place in Africa, grew out of a magazine assignment that I had had in Sudan and Kenya during the Sudanese Civil War. 
So, and that's happened to me a couple of other times where a piece of journalism that I'm happen to, happen to be working on uh, inspires a work of fiction. If I'm not mistaken, when we met in Colorado Springs, you were just putting that book together in your head, Acts of Faith. This would have been around the year 2000. So you were, if I remember right, you you explained it to me as you wanted to write a book about how people do bad things even when they come in with the best of intentions. So I, I wonder, would you just kind of walk us through, I don't talk to that many fiction writers on this podcast. I talk mostly to nonfiction writers. How do you in your head develop from an idea to a plot to characters to a book, how does that process work in your mind? Wow, I, I probably don't really, I, I don't think I've reflected enough on uh, on how my my own mind works. Probably for <laughs> reasons of self preservation, um, <laughs> I would say that um, I I no I I tend to think that uh, when it comes to a work of fiction, what happens more often is that a character or a person will occur to me. Um, and the plot develops out of the perception of that character. Every now and then, a work of fiction will arise out, out of a, um, a phrase or a sentence or even a paragraph will suddenly run through my head, and I like the sound of it. And uh, that might be the introduction, my own introduction, you might say, into that particular work. Um, for example, there's I wrote a novella that I'm actually quite pleased with, but not too many people have read it, uh, that was called In the Forest of the Laughing Elephant. And uh, that started with a a sentence or the first line uh, of the of the story but most of the time it's it's a person in a certain set of circumstances that inspires the uh the the work of fiction so how much of the plot do you have worked out in your head before you start writing or do you start with a small bit and kind of write your way through to a plot or do you really have it Structured an outline. Well, well, I don't sit down to write until I've got a pretty highly structured outline. Can you do that when you're writing fiction? I've tried that and it doesn't work for me. Um, I've, uh, for example, the book we were just talking about, Acts of Faith, uh, I had written something like an 80 page summary of the novel uh, for my agent and my editor to give them an idea of what I was working on. And they said, oh, well, go go ahead. And the novel didn't follow that whatsoever. <laughs> so I tend to think that um, what happens is, is that in the, the, the plot reveals itself, the narrative reveals itself as, as I write it, even though I, I may have to have a general idea of where I'm going. And this is, here I'm speaking of works of fiction. Uh, works of nonfiction is different there. I've got to have a pretty clear idea of what I'm going to say and when I'm going to say it and how I'm going going to say it, because that uh, tends to be obviously more sensitive. I can't just go and erase uh, or delete a whole 
set of facts uh, the way you would a whole set of uh, words or paragraphs in, in a word in a work of fiction. So, do you think then you're more character driven than you are plot driven? Do you do you kind of get the people in your head of who you want to be in the story, and then have them kind of live through a story? Yeah, I'm I'm much more character driven. Not to say that I have not written fiction that has uh as its inspiration a plot a story so, you know where I, you might might say that i say in my own head hey this is a really cool idea uh i'll i'll see what i can work uh what i what can be worked out of it but most of the time it as i say it would be a a character that inspires the story you know, I, I had an experience that made me think of you a couple of years ago. I was in Addis Ababa, and I was in this hotel courtyard just sitting there, just, just having a glass of wine or something, and this guy just sort of came up to me. He was he claimed to be an old-hand Ethiopia guy who'd been living in this hotel, he claimed, for 15 years, and he was there to tell me everything about Ethiopia, and it reminded me of a character, I think, in Horn of Africa where your character goes to Pakistan and there's this kind of equally crazy guy who comes up to him at a bar and just starts kind of telling him how it is in, in Pakistan. So I, I kind of got the sense that these characters are coming maybe from people like that, that you meet or that come up to you. Uh, so, and I know you, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this if we have time, I hope all of your travels around the world. Is that the way that you think about characters? Are they based on the, the, the individuals that you meet along the way? Uh, actually, the character you were just referring to is in, in, in a nonfiction piece of work called Means of Escape. Oh, my apologies. Right, right. No, 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 no problem. But um, by the way, characters like him and characters like you ran into you you ran into in Ethiopia. Uh, you you will find them in many of the uh, strange corners of the world, at least strange to us. Uh, there seems to be something in those places that produces these characters. I can't believe this guy lived in this hotel for half a century, uh, but maybe he did. Um, but at any rate, yeah, I, uh, sometimes that'll happen. Um, for example, now going back to Acts of Faith, there was a character I met while doing the magazine assignment on the Sudanese Civil War who was flying relief supplies uh, into Sudan and on the side was running guns uh, to the uh, Sudanese rebels. Uh, and I met him and uh, he became the character in the uh, novel called Wesley Dare. Uh, and th this guy was truly a larger than life kind of person. And I couldn't resist him. Um, and if there was an inspiration behind that novel, it, it was him and, and what he was doing, the running the guns to the rebels, uh, in, in the name of, you might say doing good, but kind of in the end doing wrong as well. To be fair to this crazy guy, he had lived there 1515, not 550. So to be fair, he claimed, he only claimed 15 years. Uh, so I, I do want to talk a little bit about your travel experiences. Means of Escape for our listeners is is your memoir of some of the places that, that you've been. And you've been in war zones. You were there when uh, the U.S. finally pulled out of Vietnam. You were actually shot in the foot in Lebanon. Um 
and it put me in mind of you know Mark Twain and the the way that he traveled the world and the way that he thought of writing and traveling as you know t- two sides of the same coin uh, in his mind that you had to be a traveler to be a writer and and vice versa. What what has that meant for you? Obviously, it's where you meet some of these very interesting human beings that you've met and you you see humanity in some of its most desperate circumstances. The 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 pictures you you draw of Lebanon especially uh, were were quite striking and quite haunting. What what has that meant to you to be able to go to these places and see them with your own eyes? Oh, it's meant ev- it's meant everything. I uh, I would disagree with if I hope he'll forgive me up there in heaven, Mark Twain, that you have to be a traveler to be a writer because there's obviously lots of writers who have not gone anywhere who uh, have become uh, truly great poets and novelists and essayists. But as for me, I have a kind of a restless personality and a curious personality. I, I wonder what's happening in these places. Uh, what do they look like? What do they smell like? What are the people like? And to gratify that uh, curiosity and that restlessness, I've wandered around around the world. And I'm glad I did it because I found that that, I would have to say, gave me the material that, that, I, that I wrote into, into both fiction and nonfiction. However, I can't say that uh, without it that I would I would have written nothing, but I rather think that I probably would have written very very little without doing that because traveling and seeing places and sometimes just literally just the act of moving from one place to another somehow stimulates my imagination. One of the one of my favorite things is uh, I make a cross-country drive twice a year from Connecticut to Arizona, and I find that I do my best thinking rolling down a highway. Uh, and uh, so the traveling and the writing to me are are virtually well not synonymous, but they they work they work together as as one thing. Well, you did something even crazier than that. You and your wife took uh, two dogs in an airstream from Key West, Florida, to the northern tip of Alaska, uh, which I do want to talk to you about because that was a fun book to read and a, a something that I always say to to myself I'd love to do, but never would have had the courage to do what you did uh, in doing that. But I want to take us very far from Key West before we come back to to that trip, and I want to talk a little bit about Africa, which. Um, is a place you've written at least two books uh, and several articles about, uh, a place you've been to uh, quite often. And I kind of want to ask you about that because, like I said, I was in Ethiopia just before COVID hit, and um, it was my first time there. And I could see where it would have drawn a writer's attention, at least where I was. And you were you were near there, of course, in Horn of Africa as well. So could you talk a little bit about what, what first drew you to Africa and what that's meant to you as a writer? Well, I, I don't know that I was actually drawn to Africa. I way back in Lord, how long ago was it? Nineteen seventy-four or five. Uh, I had an assignment to write about the uh, Eritrean rebellion in Ethiopia, and that was what first that took me to Sudan and then across the border clandestinely 
uh, into Ethiopia. <clears throat> and I do remember that I was um, captivated by that part of Africa once, once I got there. Uh, it, it's not like the kind of Africa I think that people have in their in their minds that Westerners have in their minds. You know, the elephants trucking across the Serengeti and that sort of thing. Uh, it's rather it actually looks a bit more like Arizona where I am now. Um, uh, it's more more of a, a desert. Places actually quite a severe desert. Uh, but nevertheless, I. I, and I can't really put it into words. There was just something captivating about that continent. I, I did try to get across, get it across in Acts of Faith when uh, I had a character in the novel, Woman, who talks about how Africa was our birthplace as a species. That's where Homo sapien first appeared on the planet. And um, I sometimes wonder if when we go back there, we have way back in somewhere in our brains some sense of homecoming. Hmm. Hmm. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. Uh, you, you did set two novels there, so obviously there was something that, that at least two novels, right, that, that has drawn you back as at least a location for where you're writing. So, And you've had African characters that are quite interesting and complex and well-developed so there's something about it that that is pulling you back intellectually. Well, I think that uh, the uh, as as far as those novels go, the yeah, the political and I would have to say moral complexities that people confront in Africa um, captivate me, uh, and it may be that they're very similar to some of the political and moral. Uh, dilemmas and situations that we run into no matter where you are, but that somehow they're in greater relief in Africa or they're writ large that uh, that draws me back. I mean, for example, I'm, I'm writing a kind of a long short story or, or call it a novella. It's actually part of more of a long short story right now that takes place in uh, Kenya although it's not about the politics or, or moral dilemmas, but I was, I was happy, you might say, to get back to Africa uh, on, the, on, on, on the page. Other than that, I, I, have a, I would have a very hard time figuring out why that place fascinates me or that continent fascinates me or captivates me more than, say, does the Middle East, where I... I spent more time in the Middle East, but to tell you the truth, I have zero desire to go back there. Yeah, well, you did get shot in the foot there, to be fair. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, that that uh, <laughs> kind of soured me on the place, I guess. But it just seems like uh, the uh, the Middle East, uh, as, as was proven by some recent events, uh, just seems to be the same thing over and over and over again and slightly different form. I want to read you something else that you said in that interview that we did with you uh, two decades ago. You said, quote, really happy, well-adjusted people don't become writers, end quote. Uh, and I, so I wanted to 
build off of that and ask you what advice you give to young writers who come to you uh, and want to become writers. Do you do you tell that back to them that try to find try to write from a place that isn't happy and well adjusted? What do you tell people? Um, I basically, the, I kind of I think the same thing that I had mentioned to you um, that. If they say, I want to be a writer, I want to become one, I said, you probably won't and think of something else to do because you will be driven to become a writer uh, no matter what you do. It, it, it's not the kind of thing where you say, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a cardiac surgeon or whatever. Um, and so... I, that's the, the the basic advice I gave, even on the, the website Goodreads, where they ask people ask you to uh, answer questions for them. That question's been put to me, and I and I always have the same answer. I said, if you want to be a writer, you probably won't be. If you have to be, you probably will be. It's a good way of thinking about it. Uh, I, I'm not sure that I wanted to be a writer. I just ended up one, and that's that's of course nonfiction, which is different. I'm not sure that I could ever do what you've been able to do in the fiction realm. And again, one thing I admire about you is your ability to move between those various genres of writing so easily. So as I'm looking at our clock already beginning to wind down, I want to make sure that I ask you if your process of kind of editing and revising is different when you do fiction and nonfiction. When you go back and read your own stuff, are you looking for strengths and weaknesses in a different way in those genres? Oh, very much. I mean, in, in fiction, what I'll look for is uh, if I've gotten too wordy, uh, if I've uh, perhaps created a character who acts out of character for no discernible reason, I, you, you have to work uh, or correct something like that. Uh, and then as far as the story goes, I, I would probably look at the narrative to see if there is a way to make it more interesting, more compelling than I have done it. Uh, whereas in journalism, I'll, I will check it over for the felicity of phrasing and the writing, but I mainly really try to check it to make sure my, my facts are right. That, uh, that was something I, I learned uh, really early on when I was a cub reporter at the uh, at the Chicago Tribune. I'll, I'll never forget, I was writing a, a story about a rather tragic event. A young woman had been, had been uh, assaulted and raped uh, in an underground garage in Chicago, and I wrote this piece, and I'll never forget uh, the news editor came up behind me and saw me writing it. And I was writing this kind of emotional prose and he ripped the page out of my typewriter. And he, he said, uh, what happened? And I said, well, I said, so-and-so was, she was raped uh, in uh, lower Wacker drive. I said, and he says, that's the lead. And he, you know, he said, save your darlings for later. Hmm. Which of course, in fiction, you're doing something very different. Right, you're creating darlings, right, in a sense, aren't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, you are. Although every now and then you'll create darlings in fiction that need to be killed. 
Well, we're running short on time. I want to ask you two more questions, if you don't mind. I want to ask you what you're writing right now, since you did say you're working on something. Can you share with us what it is? Well, I've been working on a uh, a series, uh, not a series, uh, a collection of novellas uh, or long short stories uh, that take place in odd places of the world that have some strange experiences that are undergone by by the characters. It's it's called Larium Dreams at the moment. Larium being the malarial medicine or anti-malarial medicine that uh, used to be given to people when they were going to places where malaria was endemic. And it turns out that larium can cause some very strange dreams and hallucinations. So the stories are somewhat based on that idea. So more something that's intended to do good that also can do harm. There's a, there's a theme tracing back there. Yeah. It's, however, that's, not the theme of this uh, particular uh, book. Last question I ask everybody, uh, what are you reading right now? What books are on your nightstand? I'm sometimes embarrassed to answer this question because my reading tastes are so eclectic. It sounds like the reading list of somebody who's deranged. Um, One novel I'm reading now is The Lying World of Adults by the Italian writer who's become an international cause celeb, uh, Eliana Ferrante. Um, and then I'm reading a military history. It's actually really a history uh, called The General and the Jaguar about the Pershing expedition uh, that uh, pursued Pancho Villa after the raid in Columbus, New Mexico back in 1916. Quite compelling history. I've read that. That's a good book. I've also read some of Ferrara, though I haven't read uh, I haven't read that one. But I, eclectic reading taste is a good thing for a writer, I think. Right? Uh, you get different patterns and different ways that people write and put ideas together. That's a positive. Yeah, I think it's just like having different experiences is really good for a writer. The same thing as you you, you read somebody that maybe you normally would not, or that you um, that you don't write the way that person does, or about the things that person does, and it forces you to think sometimes in a different channel. Well, Phil, our time is up, and I can hear birds chanting outside your uh, window out there in Arizona. So I, I can, uh, I, I don't want to take your entire morning away, but I want to thank you very much for spending some time with us. It's great to reconnect with you uh, in the past couple of weeks to get ready for this. I've gone back and read a, a lot of your stuff, and just a reminder of what a terrific writer you are. And uh, thanks so much for spending time with us today. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Michael, for uh, having me uh, on the podcast, and uh, thanks for all the kind words as well. You're very welcome. Thanks for being here. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.